Sometimes I feel like I do everything for this podcast by myself. Here I am, sitting in my living room, while I've been furloughed, thanks to coronavirus, doing these ads by myself while Brian's out making some money working today. Anyway, thank you guys for being patient with us. I hate doing these every other week episodes, so does Brian, but thanks to coronavirus, here we are again. But thank you so much for tuning into the Crucial Conversation. Let me tell you about a couple of uh, sponsors we have before we jump into this awesome, awesome interview we had with Brother Doug Kleindens. If you know anything about Doug Kleindens, you're going to love to hear his story. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, make sure you listen to the whole episode. His story is absolutely insane. Going from pastoring people, about seven or eight people, to watching hundreds of thousands of people in one setting receive the Holy Ghost... Guys, that's awesome. But first, some sponsors. DriftedDrum.com. Dr. April Jones, good friend of our podcast. You can go on there, put in promo code CRUCIAL, get 10% off your entire purchase. Get her book today, No Mess, No Message. Find hope in your pain. Guys, a great read. Put in promo code CRUCIAL, get 10% off. She also has brand new merchandise that has um, shirts that have uh, coronavirus uh, puns on the front. Very cool. Um, go to the drifteddrum.com, promo code CRUCIAL. Help those that sponsor us. Another group I like to tell you about is Lazari Italian Oven. We joke about this all the time, but in all seriousness, they are the best Italian restaurant in the Northeast Arkansas area. If you're in Jonesboro or the surrounding area, go to 2230 South Caraway Road. The good news is... We're about to open the restaurants back up. The even better news is if you don't want to go in, they have curbside pickup. They will take care of you. You don't have to go in. You don't have to get six inches from somebody. Stay six feet away from them if you want. Call 870-931-4700. Nathaniel Anderson is a great friend of ours. He's a great sponsor of ours. Anderson Heat and Air. He did work on my house. He's done work on Brian's house. So we know from experience the quality that you're going to get. Give him a call at 870-664-1967. I want to make sure you know it doesn't matter if it's a new unit, repairing an old unit, getting a brand new house, putting something in. It don't matter where it's located at, um, whether it's in your attic, your basement, inside, outside. He's going to take care of you. The awesome news is he does churches, he does commercial, he does residential. Whatever you need, Anderson Heat and Air can take care of you. Give him a call at 870-664-1967. Our last presenting sponsor is Reverend Doug Kleindens. Yes, our guest. We are promoting his books. Do us a favor and go to www.douglaskleindens.com. Go to the My Books tab. He has a special going on right now for all of our listeners out there. You can get all eight of his books. Yes, eight books for 100 bucks plus $10 shipping. All you got to do is go to douglaskleindens.com. Go to my books. Go down to the special. You'll see eight books for 100 bucks, $10 shipping. We love for you to support those who support us. And thank you guys for listening to us. Make sure you like, subscribe, share rate us. Thank you so much for being a listener, and we know you will enjoy this episode we have with Reverend Doug Kleindens. Beyond that, there's so many variables. Um, in America, because of our affluence, because we have so much money, and we have so much knowledge and science, usually people don't turn to God until they've exhausted all of that. 
once we run out of scientific answers, medical remedies, or money, then we get desperate and call on God as a last resort. All we can do now is pray. In other words, we've reached the point that we've exhausted. Well, we have so much to exhaust, so many other options before we get to that stage. In some of these foreign countries, there's none of that exists. They don't have the money for medical care, or the medical care is not available. And so they're either going to get a miracle or not. I mean, that's just all there is to it. They come get a miracle where they just, they limp or they live in pain. There are no other options. So they go to God first and they go to God more desperately. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. bring on our guest today. This guy has preached to the hundreds of thousands in crusades all over the world. He is a well-known evangelist and author of many books. As a matter of fact, he's got some specials going on on his website. We'll get to that later. But today, we are thrilled to welcome on Reverend Doug Kleindens. Brother Kleindens, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. I sure appreciate this opportunity to talk with you. Well, Along with myself, all of our listeners are super excited to hear um, the story of how in the world you got involved to where you're at now. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell me a little bit about your um, your raising, were you raised in Pentecost, were you uh, uh, growing up in church? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I was raised around Pentecost, oneness Pentecostalism my entire life from a small child. Um, I was first received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at seven years old and then was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus at 12 years old. So I've known about it all my life. Uh, During my teenage years, I was a long way away from God, completely out of church, involved in many, many things of the world, drugs and alcohol and partying and all of that. But when I turned 19 years old, I began to seek God for myself. I felt a drawing of God and a calling of God, and I knew something had to change in my life. I didn't like the pathway I was going. So uh, from from that time forward, I got back in church, answered the call to ministry, and that's been 35 years ago. There's been no turning back. So how in the world do you go from uh, feeling a call into ministry to ministering to hundreds of thousands in these crusades overseas? How, how does that transpire? Well, there's several things that cause that. The verse of scripture that I've always used is in the book of Psalms basically says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. There's no way to really manipulate it or work it or arrange it. You just have to be faithful where you are, keep a good heart, be sincere, seek the Lord, reach for God, and then God will open doors and God will connect you to people that are able to uh, release you into the next level of ministry. And so it takes both it takes both a passion and a desire on your part and then somebody to take notice of you and help you and introduce you. And then one doorway leads to another. There's very rarely one single catalyst. 
it's one door leads to the next door leads to the next and then you look back 10 years later and see how far you've come who is that person in your life that took notice of you well, first of all, obviously, my pastor. My pastor took a lot of interest in me, uh, began right away training me for ministry, uh, spent time with me, mentored me, uh, helped me in many, many ways. And then, of course, I got connected with Brother Billy Cole, and Brother Billy Cole became my mentor for 17 years and has had a dramatic, uh, massive impact on my life. How in the world did you get connected to Brother Billy Cole? Okay, that's a that's a very miraculous story, and that's where I'm talking about. It takes a God thing somewhere along your life. You don't know who to connect with, who to meet, what hand to shake, what who's who is the person that God's going to use in your life. You have to let the Lord put those pieces together. I was pastoring in Lynchburg, Virginia. My wife and I were living in the basement of the church in two Sunday school rooms. We had converted into a little apartment. We had a very small congregation. We started with 11, seven eventually left, and then we had four. And so we had built <laughs> up, I think, a, yeah. That's I reverse revival, bro. Yeah, first revival went backwards. Uh, at, the, at the point of this story, I think we were up around 25, 30 people. And um, I went up to the office one day to pray, just went through the door, got down on my knees and face, began to pray, seek God. And of course, I was seeking him about a lot of things. I got lost in the spirit, often speaking in tongues, praying in the spirit. I uh, hadn't opened my eyes in a long time and, and just really out there in the realm of the spirit, praying and seeking God. And when I come uh, finish the prayer and uh, come out of my prayer time, as I was getting up and uh, I was right beside my desk, on my desk was a globe. When I saw the globe on my desk, immediately the Lord spoke to me and said, I will carry you across the waters to preach the gospel. Well, that was very much outside of my paradigm, wasn't something that I wanted to do, had a desire to do or thought about doing. As an evangelist, I was uh, focused on North America. As a pastor, I was focused on my city. As a matter of fact, my pastor had a very humorous and interesting approach to the missions uh, burden. He said, we pay so we can stay. Give them dough and they will go. And so uh, my missions paradigm, when I got a burden, when I felt moved to compassion, was to give money. And, uh, of course, we need both kind. We need givers and goers. And at that time, I was a I was a giver. So God was changing my paradigm quite amazingly here. And so I remember spinning the globe and wondering how in the world that would ever happen. And I went on with my day and and forgot about it. But later that day, uh, Brother Cunningham had become a friend of mine uh, there in the Virginia district. He was the home missions director at that time in Virginia, and he helped me and facilitated me going into the church in Lynchburg. Uh, he had gone on to our headquarters, and he was working now at headquarters. So I gave him a call, and we got to talking. And during that conversation is when it came up about Brother Cole. So we had ideas and thoughts about things for uh, evangelism, and we were on the phone later that afternoon talking. As we're talking along, I look over and see the globe that I had the experience with in the morning, the Lord speaking to me about going overseas. And I say to him, Brother Cunningham, are you traveling overseas anytime soon? And he said, well, no, I'm working here. And, you know, Then it was called the Home Missions Division. I'm working Home Missions and I said, well, it felt like the Lord spoke to me. I was going to be traveling overseas, and I just didn't really know how it would happen. We went on with our conversation about hung up. He said, wait a minute. He said, you need to call my Uncle Bill. 
And, of course, I was just getting to know Brother Cunningham, so I was like, who's your Uncle Bill? <laughs> and he said, well, Billy Cole. Well, I had certainly heard of Billy Cole. I said, well, my goodness, I didn't even know that. He said, yeah, you need to call. He's always taking missions trips. Maybe you could, you know, get on one of his trips. So he gave me the number, and I called over to Brother Cole's house, and uh, Sister Cole answered the phone, and I started introducing myself. You don't know me. I pastor in Virginia, but I was praying today, and the Lord spoke to me that I'd be traveling overseas, and I just felt like, oh, she went to speaking in tongues. I mean, she went to speaking in warfare tongues and deep tongues. And so I was just like, yes, Jesus, 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 yes, Jesus. She was speaking in tongues. Then she, through the tongue, she'd say, you're the chosen vessel. Then she'd speak in tongues some more. You're the chosen one. And she'd speak in tongues some more. And I didn't really know what was going on. So I was just kind of like, you know, yes, Lord, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And uh, she finally says, uh, you're, you're the chosen vessel. I'm going to have Billy call you. And she just hung up. So, you know, the whole conversation, we never really had a conversation. I tried to explain what had happened, but she went to speaking in tongues. And so later that night, um, Brother Cole called my house. And, of course, I answered the phone. It's Billy Cole. Tell me what has happened to you. And so I started into my same story. You know, I was praying at the office. and saw the globe, and the Lord spoke to me. I was talking to Brother Cunningham. I get about that point, he says, you are the chosen vessel of God. And I said, Brother Cole, you know, Sister Cole was saying that I really don't understand. He said, let me tell you what has happened to me. I'm getting ready to go to the nation of Ethiopia. And he would say thousands awaiting my arrival. He said, this week I've had six members of the team that have canceled and cannot go. And you'd have to know, Brother Cole, he was quite dramatic in a lot of things. And he was being very dramatic. He said, I was so discouraged this morning. I was in my office. I had my head in my hands. I was so discouraged because people were counseling to go on the trip. And he said, Sister Cole walked into my office and raised her hands and prophesied and said, Billy, God will choose a man to travel with you to Ethiopia, and he will call you today. Hmm. said, Brother Kleindens, you are that man. So I got in touch with Brother Cole through Brother Cunningham, but the thing that really made it stick and make him pay attention to me was that I called his house on the very day that she had prophesied, Sister Cole had prophesied, God will choose a man to travel with you and he'll call you today. So because of that, it caused Brother Cole to pay attention to me uh, as someone that God was putting in his life. Uh, uh, Otherwise, you know, I was just a random person out here that he wouldn't have probably paid much attention to and i ended up going on several trips with him that first year and then uh, after that year after year uh pakistan and uh ethiopia numerous times and papua new guinea numerous times and the philippines and just numerous places around the world and many many places in the states as well and he became my became my mentor for 17 years so that's how that's how we met so with that much time you spent with him, what are, what are some things that the nor, the ordinary person doesn't know about him? What, what was he like uh, beyond the pulpit? Well, uh, as is the case with many uh, very notable leaders, uh, he, he was quite passionate. Uh, I do say often he was dramatic. Uh, he was very dramatic with his faith. 
very dramatic with his battles. Uh, so he was he was a person who uh, could be very high or very low. And uh, he used to say, you like to travel with me because you like the ride. <laughs> and so uh, it was never boring. It was always adventurous. And we were involved in very big situations that were very stressful. And uh, so there was, you know, it was just a very dramatic uh, time in life. Brother Cole, most people look to Brother Cole as his number one gift or strongest gift was faith. And certainly he was a man of faith. He was a man of great faith. And he possessed the gift of faith, which was very prominent in his ministry operation. But being around him, I learned it was not his number one strongest gift. His strongest gift was discerning of the spirits. He could very keenly and quickly, through the spirit, through the gift of discerning of spirits, very quickly read a situation and know what was going on in the invisible aspects of it. Uh, That was a profound part of Brother Cole that many people didn't know. Another important aspect of his, probably more of his personality, was most people view Brother Cole as being uh, driven by authority, very, very uh, sensitive to submission and authority and obedience. And, and that certainly was a prominent portion of who he was, but greater than his requirement of obedience and submission what really was the primary driving factor of Brother Cole's paradigm was honor. It had more to do with honor and dishonor. If something uh, was not honorable or if it did not show him honor or was dishonorable uh, toward him, he was very sensitive to that. It wasn't just about obedience and disobedience. It was about showing the proper honor and respect he was much more sensitive to that than just strict obedience. I think some of that had to do with the fact that he had been a missionary to Thailand and part of the Asian culture that influenced him as he was a missionary in that culture for many years. I'm glad you said the words obedience and honor because I remember a story that you told me whenever we were having dinner that um, he had you call and book and cancel and call and book and cancel can you tell us that story well that actually is stage two of the story that i just told how i met brother cole so brother cole called me that night and we got connected and he invited me to go to ethiopia and i was the chosen vessel of god and all of that the very next morning he called my house i think it's like nine o'clock the next morning after that whole dramatic day uh the day before with the prayer meeting and the globe and sister Cole's prayer and the chosen vessel. And he says, uh, I've been thinking, and I want you to go with me to Papua New Guinea. Well, again, I didn't know I'd never been anywhere. So I didn't know one place from the next or anything. And I was like, well, brother Cole, I, you know, I'd love to go. I mean, I want to go everywhere, but you know, I'm not sure if I can afford both places. You know, I was, we were very poor in those days, couldn't afford to pay attention. And, <laughs> So he says, well, just go with me to Papua New Guinea. Well, I started picking up that he was changing from Ethiopia to Papua New Guinea. And I didn't know the difference in the two, except the day before it seemed like God had said I was the chosen vessel to Ethiopia. So I said, well, Brother Cole, I I feel like I ought to go to Ethiopia. He says, I don't want you to go to Ethiopia. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. And so he said, get us tickets to Papua New Guinea. And he put me in charge of getting tickets on our reservation to Papua New Guinea. 
And so it was kind of a big uh, confusion for me. I didn't understand why it was changing. And, of course, in those days, Internet and cell phones all weren't quite as fluid as they are today. And so it took days and days to work on itineraries and work something out with a travel agent. I You're showing your age, bro. Out. Say again? You're showing your age by saying stuff like that. Oh, I know. <laughs> but this was in the early 90s, you know. And, I mean, AOL was still uh, dial-up, you know. You were <laughs> hearing the, the noises as you were logging in. So... So I get it all worked out, and I tell him everything, and he says, no, that's not good. Try this other agent and call them and see what they'll do. So I have to start over, and I get that all worked out, and then he wouldn't like that arrangement. He'd say, here, call this other travel agent. Just kept going around in circles, and everything I'd work out, just he wasn't happy with. So I ended up at the last minute deciding to go to because of the Times meeting that year, and I think it was 1993, January of 93, because of the times. And we didn't have no money. I didn't have no room. And I just went down there with a friend of mine. We drove. We slept on the floor of the church in Leesville, Louisiana, the first night. Went to the service. He had a hookup with some other guys going to their room. I had no hotel room. I just went to the church service with my luggage in the car. I didn't even know where I was going to be going. I just figured with all them preachers, you know, I could meet with somebody. And, um, so I saw Brother Cole decide to go down there after the service and just introduce myself. As soon as I walk up to him and introduce myself, his first question is, where are you staying? Well, I didn't really want to tell him I was there without a room. You know, I was kind of embarrassed to be doing that. So I just was vague. I said, well, you know, I got some friends here, and, you know, we're going to hook up here after the service. And I'm going to – he says, you don't have a room. <laughs> he just picked it right up. I said, no, sir, I don't. Good. You can stay with me. So I ended up staying with Brother Cole in his room. And, of course, he was preaching that year. So that, you know, I started being involved and meeting a lot of people I'd only ever seen through binoculars up to that time in my life. And I come into the room, his hotel room, on the next day. And he's like, uh, do you have tickets to Papua New Guinea? Well, I didn't. Because he wouldn't let me get them. Every time I worked them out, he said no. So I started to explain this. I said, well, no, Brother Cole, I don't have them. Because he says, if you plan on going, you better get some tickets. And he just fell over in the bed and went to sleep. <laughs> and so I was like, so he's now upset at me for not having tickets. He won't let me get. And I was really, you know, confused, trying to obey the man of God. So I went to Brother Cunningham's room. He was staying there at the same hotel, and I went and told him everything been going on for weeks now. And he said, look, let's just get the tickets. So we took quite a time, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes, whatever it was, on the phone, got everything all worked out for the tickets, got it all done. And we literally just hung up the phone from working out the tickets to Papua New Guinea, and there was a knock at his door. Brother Cole comes walking in, you know, suit and tie, all dressed up. He says, wonderful, tell me all about it. I mean, he wasn't asking what I was doing there or anything. I guess he figured I was finally hyperventilating. And uh, I said, Brother Cole, I just hung up the phone. The tickets to Papua New Guinea are bought. Everything's finished. He says, wonderful. Now, here's what I want you to do. Pick up that phone, call that travel agent, and cancel your reservations <laughs> to Papua New Guinea. <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing was an elaborate test to just see what kind of attitude and spirit I would have being thrust into this contradiction between obviously what it seemed like was the will of God and what the man of God was telling me to do that seemed opposite to that. So he was just seeing how I would 
handle and navigate that kind of a situation. Of course, the funny end of that story is I ended up going both places for quite a number of years. So what is the biggest thing that Brother Cole has taught you through the years? Well, you know, there were so many, but I was young when I connected with him. He was 30 years my elder. And so so probably he built upon a foundation that I had with my pastor. Um, in terms of my personal life and walk with God, the number one thing I probably learned from Brother Cole was servitude. I entered into a season of servitude and a process of servitude. As far as the ministry goes, you know, he taught me spiritual gifts, the operation of the gift of faith, um, what to do, what to say, how to how to implement certain functions and strategies with what I was feeling. But uh, character-wise, or in my personal life, I think servitude, you know, it was a time of serving the man of God in my life, up close and personal. Uh, so when, when you were out there and, and he was, you know, kind of lead, uh, showing you and kind of giving you advice on how to, to, to minister in the spiritual gifts, what were some of the things that he taught you and uh, that, are, that are practical things people can try uh, here in today's time? And, and what were some of the, the demonstrations of the miraculous that you have seen over the years? And I know that's a, well, that's a big question because I'm sure yeah, you have a lot I, to I talk can, about. Touch on just a few points, I guess. Brother Cole was very sensitive to process and and uh, and how to how to. Now he loved inspiration, loved excited preaching, loved uh, uh, very exuberant worship services. But he was very keen to to how to how to do something, how to accomplish it, how to actually get it done. So he was always looking for a way to bring all the emotion and faith to a point of action and results, getting the result, getting it to actually occur. One thing that he was very sensitive about and taught us, and this is really a crusade concept, but it has a broader implication really in any kind of a church service or ministry of a team where a team is working together was that everybody on the team would be given a certain assignment, certain roles, certain things you were doing, even in the church service, and, and what your preaching uh, role would be. And he was very concerned about anybody, number one, stepping outside of your assignment. You were supposed to do what you were assigned to do and not get up there at the moment and then say, well, I just feel to do this. He didn't want you freelancing at the moment it was a very important moment, very critical. We had to feel after God, get a strategy. And once we got the, the direction from the Lord, he wanted us to stick to it. Another part of that process was not preempting or getting ahead of. So let's say, you know, your job was to get up and preach a message um, uh, of repentance. And then the next person was going to come up and preach a message on faith. And then the third was going to be a message on the Holy Ghost and receiving it. And then he was going to come and speak the word of faith. Well, he wouldn't want the first person to get up there and, that's supposed to be preaching on repentance and just get the feel of the power of God and just go ahead and move into receiving the Holy Ghost. You're getting ahead of the plan. You're getting ahead of the other people who have a ministry coming after yours. Do your assignment. And then step back, let the next person do his, and let the next person. He didn't. He was very uh, strong about not preempting, 
not getting ahead of the plan and jumping the gun and doing something before it was time and building up to that moment for the word of faith and for the release of the miracles. And that was, and that's a team concept. You know, if you're just the only person ministering, you can do what you feel whenever you feel it. But if you're in a situation where there's three or four or five of you and everybody's going to have a part, you can't have one team member just get up and do whatever they want. Everybody has to find their lane, know what the overall plan is and do their portion of that plan or it just goes into confusion now, i've seen a lot uh, of service was, openers was, be the pre- i've seen a lot of service openers become the main preacher well yeah you know you're up uh, opening up the service and it's like you don't have to wait for the preaching you just get the holy ghost right now well that's true but it doesn't always happen that way and there's usually people who need the word to prepare their heart and prepare right. the soil and some maybe haven't repented and so what can happen is yeah, you get some results and the, and the bigger the crowd you know, you have a thousand people, chances are there's somebody there ready to receive the Holy Ghost right now. They came ready. But there might be a hundred more that need to worship, they need to repent, they need the Word of God, and then they'll be ready to receive the Holy Ghost. Right. And so sometimes I think in our services, we've jumped the gun, had some people get the Holy Ghost and justify our actions by the, by the fact that you know, there we had well, we had ten people got the Holy Ghost. Well, yeah, but there was a hundred and ten there that could have got it, and you missed the harvest by Amen. not being skillful in your approach. And Brother Cole was very big about getting the whole harvest. So Brian asked you the question. I'm, I'm very interested to hear as well. What are some of the miraculous miracles that you have seen? Something that's just, um, just mind blowing because. Everybody knows that you've seen those things all through all your travels. What are some of those incidences that you can think of? Well, it's, uh, that's such a broad question, and, and I am going to zero in on a few things. But, you know, I have seen every miracle that's recorded in the book of the Acts of the Apostles somewhere in some modern example or modern similar type situation. So everything from deaf ears and blind eyes and crippled limbs and and demonic spirits being cast out. I mean, it's just been notable miracle after something that some of those Ethiopia crusades, where we had hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, we literally have dozens and dozens and dozens of blind people and deaf people. I mean, it was just multiplied in every area. Some of the things that stick out to me, of course, 1996 in Papua New Guinea, it was the first night that Brother Cole, I preached in all the meetings, but on this night, he said, you preach the Holy Ghost service, and you go ahead and speak the word of faith. So, I mean, usually that's what he did. So he was totally stepping back and pushing me forward. And right at the moment, as we spoke the word of faith, the power of God started falling on the people. We had about 10,000 people there. A glory cloud, a physical, literal, visible cloud of God's presence came down and hovered above the people. It was so prominent. I mean, we have it on video. I've got it on my website to this day. Uh, video, uh, photographs of it. Everybody that was there could see it. Everybody that was out in the, we, we were in the city in this particular crusade. It was in um, Port Moresby. And so people in the city could just see the cloud hovering over our, it was an open air stadium. And so that physical glory cloud uh, serves as one of the monumental miracles that I can remember seeing in my life. 
one time in the nation of Pakistan, I remember seeing one that just, just a real heavy in my mind. There was two in Pakistan that out of, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds that, that hang in my mind. One was when I was with Brother Cole and we were walking off the, the platform. The people were starting to push up on the platform. It was getting a little crazy and so they felt like we needed to go so we were pushing through a crowd to leave the platform well they had put a lot of people up on the platform especially special guests prominent people we were walking past this lady and her hand was twisted backwards and was kind of touching up on her shoulder and brother cole walked by her and she said don't pass me brother cole don't pass me and he turned around and saw her hand was twisted and he just said be healed in the name of the lord jesus christ and then he turned and walked off while I was behind him. So I saw as that hand literally unfolded and she lifted it up and began to praise God. He had already walked on. I don't even think he ever saw the miracle actually happen. But I was behind him, so I saw that was a very notable miracle to see that unfold like that. Another very dramatic miracle in Pakistan one time was a little nine-year-old girl. She was a deaf mute, deaf mute. And one of the things we did in a lot of those crusades, you know, hallelujah is a high praise. It's the same in about every language. And so it was one place that we could all be in the same language and worship, and we'd get the people shouting hallelujah many times. And, and during one of the healing moves, this little girl got her healing, and both could hear and speak. And the first word she was learning was hallelujah. And they, they, their father carried her up on the platform. And what I remember is holding his daughter and giant tears are just flowing down his cheeks because here she is and it's the first time he has heard her speak and she's saying hallelujah. And it just was just a notable, wow. Wow, that's awesome. notable miracle. And I mean, I could go on and on. There's just miracle after miracle after miracle. One time there was a blind man in Ethiopia that was way out in the back of the crowd and we prayed and many people were healed and we got more testimonies and he felt the power of God, but, but he did not get his healing. He, he couldn't see, but we, we broke for lunch. We take about an hour for lunch and he walked a short distance with some people to a little village area. They had, they were cooking cabbage in a pot. And when they bowed their head and prayed over the food for lunch, when he lifted his head up, his eyes opened up. Hmm. Man. So we didn't find out about the miracle till the afternoon when they all came back singing and rejoicing and gave us the testimony that he was in the healing service, but it didn't happen there. While praying over but lunch. when they prayed over the food, it happened there. Wow. While praying over the food. So, you know, obviously it probably did happen in the healing service. It just didn't manifest. I mean, I think if you took that out of the equation, maybe you don't have the same result. But sometimes these miracles happen in ways that are beyond our patterns and expectations. Uh, how many How many people have you, what is the most number of people that you've seen receive the Holy Ghost at one time? Well, all together, and this is a question I get asked a lot, all together combined, I've added it up to somewhere around 877,000 of meetings that I've been in and have seen. 22 times I've seen more than 3,000 people receive the Holy Ghost in a single service. And this wow. is in Ethiopia, Papua New Guinea, and Pakistan, and Nigeria, and I mean, just, you know, various places around the world, Philippines. 
the most I ever saw on a single service, of course, those Ethiopian crowds were big, and they really swelled during the last several years. Uh, Brother Cole had stopped going, and we went three more years after he was no longer going. And that that uh, second year uh, was very, very large. And we had a, we really estimated the crowd up around 700 something thousand. We just reported 500,000. But in that meeting, we estimated about 120,000 received the Holy Ghost. Wow. uh, Now give me that number again. 120,000. Wow. Yeah. uh, That was the estimate, somewhere around 120,000. So that would be the most that I ever saw. This is kind of a a random question, too, and maybe you haven't seen it, but I've heard a few people give testimonies about this. Have you ever seen somebody in one of these foreign nations receive the Holy Ghost with the initial sign being speaking in tongues in English? Yes, one time. That actually happened in the Philippines one time, and it was a little boy. uh, I don't know, seven, eight years old. He was down there praying. He couldn't say hi and hello uh, in English, you know. Uh, of course, he wasn't speaking any language real well, but he was, you know, he was old enough to talk. He was seven, eight years old, something like that. And um, he, he was down there just praying and crying and waving his hands. And then he just starts saying in just very clear, precise English, there are rivers of living water that are flowing out of my soul. I praise you, Jesus. There are rivers of living water flowing out of my soul. That's so it was a very pronounced moment when his language obviously changed, you know. And we understood he's speaking in tongues, but we could hear him in English. That's awesome. Brother Kleinitz, I want to ask you um, a question that uh, very prevalent to today's society, especially with people not being able to go to church uh, during the current circumstances that we're in with COVID-19. But sure. whenever, uh, whenever I did get to meet you, you um, had just got done finished preaching and you walked by my dad and you stopped and you turned around and you came back and you prophesied over my dad and i was standing there beside him and i heard everything that you had said and after that service was over my dad came to me and he said you know uh brother kleindens spoke exactly what was going on in my life and it turns out three weeks four weeks later maybe what you had prophesied to him over had come to pass uh, pretty much word by word what you said was going to happen how do you how do you hear God's voice what 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 do you do and able to hear God's voice so clearly that is so transparent in other people's lives well that gift that you would be referring to would be called prophecy. It was yes. prophetic. It yes. was a declaration of the divine intention of God, and then it came to pass. Uh, the way prophecy works for me, I call it by unction. In other words, very rarely anymore, and I mean for many, many, many years, do I actually hear the words before I speak them. I just feel moved i call it an unction i feel the unction of the holy ghost i feel alerted um, something catches my attention i feel drawn to a person and i just go to them and it's just like if you were to right now if we just started worshiping god you just raise your hands and start speaking in tongues you don't pre-plan that or think that you just open your mouth and let it go but you can speak in english the same way you can just go to a person start talking and and then let it just be the Holy Ghost comes out. So most of the time, I don't know what I'm going to say prior to saying it. 
it's spontaneous. I just start speaking, and I might say, hey, bro, I feel I got a word for you. I think the Lord, and then it just, it just starts coming as I'm talking. That is the primary way that I prophesy. And the way you practice that is you practice that by being spontaneous. You just learn to try to flow in the Holy Ghost as you feel led. You know, if you feel like you're supposed to worship, worship. If you feel like you should pray, pray. Just practice being sensitive and spontaneous and doing what you feel. And then when you're drawn to somebody, you can speak in English just like tongues. Sometimes God can give me a prophetic word for a person in prayer. It'll come to me in prayer. I'll hear the whole prophecy, and I'll remember the, the general point of the prophetic word, and then maybe I'll call them. And When I give them the word, it may not come out in the exact words I heard in prayer, but the general idea, the, the heart of it, will just be re-expressed. So a word can come to you that way before time, and then you know you need to carry this word to that person to a phone call or Sometimes it could happen prior to a service. You'll know before you get in there, you got to work for somebody. You'll wait to a moment. You'll remember it. Sometimes I forget. I get in the service, then I see that person, and I remember the word. I go to them. And oftentimes, even that will expand. I'll give them the word that I have, and then more will come while speaking. So for, for someone that's, that's first stepping out in faith doing this, how much tolerance should we have for somebody that is trying to flow in the Holy Ghost, but they've missed it? Well, I think there's two sides to that. I mean, I think we can have some tolerance, but at the same time, I think the person has to be willing to be corrected. In other words, Brother Tinney used to say there's a fine line between the glory and the goofy. Mm-hmm. So if you attempt to do something and you feel God wants you to do some crazy thing or strange thing or do whatever, and it doesn't work, I mean, it's just obviously, well, that didn't work. You you have to be rebuked. I mean, you have to be corrected. You know, somebody needs to tell my brother, look, here, next time you feel that, do this or do that. What I, what I did to train people who are trying to be used in the prophetic was in the local church, I would say, you know, prophesy to the pastor, prophesy to the key leaders in the church. Number one, they're not going to backslide if you get something off. And number two... Uh, they can help discern your gift and perfect your gift and affirm your gift. You know, they can say, hey, that was directly of God or that's from the Lord or, hey, brother, I don't I don't think you, you nailed it there on that one. And can help you get your gift right before you go trying to prophesy to the saints. As a matter of fact, you know, probably that should be released by the pastor. You know, that he gives some kind of approval or affirmation of your gifting that people know they can they can trust a prophetic word. Now, I also don't believe that prophecies should be private. In other words, I don't think if anybody comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, but you can't tell anybody, you probably ought to tell them, don't even tell me. Because I, the Bible said, let one prophesy and let the others judge. But others can't judge what they can't know. So I think when you receive a word, that word then should go through your elders and your accountability and not just to judge it's good or bad or right or wrong, but to judge its timing, maybe add to it, maybe, you know, really help fine-tune it. You know, the other voices on the prophetic word can actually add to and help it, not not diminish it. And if it is something just totally not right, then you can say, I, that's just, I don't believe that's a God, you know. Wow. Has there ever been a season, as sensitive as you are to the Holy Ghost, that you felt like, I can't hear from God for nothing. 
Or, oh, there's been numerous seasons like that in my life. Um, you know, you go through seasons to everything. There's a season. Same way with all the gifts. There's times I go through a season where I'm using word of knowledge a lot. And then I go through many months that I don't give any single person a word of knowledge in a church service. There's various flows of the Spirit, seasons you're in in life, seasons that a church is in. You know, I might be in season, but they may not be. Or they may be, but I'm not. So all the pieces kind of have to come together for all of it to work. Uh, Brother Tenney, this is another Brother Tenney statement. He used to teach us the teacher is always silent during the test. So there does come a time when God stops talking. And you just have to walk by faith and what you know. And uh, until the season comes that he you know, opens up his voice again. Hmm. You, you don't have to have a you know fresh word from the Lord every single day. Right. We have the whole Bible. Oh, well, well, I, you're reading the Bible. You've got the word of the Lord. You've got your daily bread. You've got the general directions. We've got pastors and elders in our lives pointing the way. Why, why would I need every day to get some fresh, new, you know, monumental word from God? I pretty, pretty much know where I'm going, what I'm doing, what direction I'm going. I need to hear from God for any adjustments, any changes, or for someone else that maybe needs to hear but uh yeah you don't have to you know as a matter of fact i've noticed some of these people that hear from god so often a lot of times they're just unstable it's like well you didn't even fulfill the last word god gave you now you got a new word and then after that there's another one and these words aren't getting fulfilled it's just always a new word well i think if it's a word from the lord it ought to have depth and value and it needs to be done there's a lot of difference between being spiritual and spooky well, yeah, and as a matter of fact, in Pentecost, most, most of us think spooky is spiritual, but uh, I don't think it is at all. You know, obviously with God, it's going to be miraculous and marvelous and wonderful and uh, incredible, but uh, I don't believe in mysticism. Uh, mystic is a, very, a lot of illusion, alludes to a lot of things that are never explained. Uh, I feel like, you know, we need a word from the Lord. What did God say? Not what's he hinting at, what's he alluding to, you know. Let's try to get a clear word from the Lord. It doesn't have to be mind-boggling, but just what is it? I want to ask you a question that uh, I'm sure um, 90% of your churchgoers always ask these people that have seen these incredible things in overseas crusades is, why do we not see things like that in the United States of America when it comes to the miraculous? Well, there's lots of reasons for that. Um, one is you got to remember in a lot of these crusades, just like our big Ethiopia, that was a national crusade. That was the entire nation coming together, all the ministers, all the churches, all the people from everywhere. So, you know, what's happening in the local church, I mean, we have more people in that crusade than lived in the city I pastored. So there was no way I was going to come home in my local church and have the magnitude of ministry and miracles that we had in Ethiopia. I mean, I'm in a local city versus a nationwide ministry of tens of thousands of ministers and faith and prayer and power. Now, beyond that, there's so many variables. Um, in America, because of our affluence, because we have so much money and we have so much knowledge and science, Usually people don't turn to God until they've exhausted all of that. 
once we run out of scientific answers, medical remedies, or money, then we get desperate and call on God as a last resort. All we can do now is pray. In other words, we've reached the point that we've exhausted. Well, we have so much to exhaust, so many other options before we get to that stage. In some of these foreign countries, there's none of that exists. They either don't have the money for medical care or the medical care is not available. And so they're either going to get a miracle or die. I mean, that's just all there is to it. They come get a miracle where they just, they limp or they live in pain. There are no other options. So they go to God first and they go to God more desperately. So affluence hinders us. It dulls us. Knowledge and skepticism paints us a little bit, gives, causes us to give God a very narrow window through which we want to see how the miracle occurs. And all of that hinders the American approach. I mean, we see miracles, we just don't see them as often as you do in some of the other cultures. Right. Um, there is a story. I'm actually um, completely unprofessional right now. I'm looking at your Facebook because uh, I wanted to find the story specifically that um, I was referring to because I didn't want to make any uh, mistakes on it. But and I don't mean to jump from different story to story, but I want to I want to ask you whenever God asked you to give away your car, what did you think? Well, can you share that story with our listeners? When we did that, it wasn't the first time. Um, we have given away in our lifetime five vehicles. And so it wasn't something completely foreign to us. But it, it, there, was, there was a lot of context, and here was the context. We, we were believing God and, and had a need and were praying about needing to get a new vehicle. Our vehicles were getting up in miles, and we knew we needed a vehicle. My wife and I have been having conversations about it, trying to look at what we could afford, you know, how we could get the loan. We we were in conversation. Well, I came home from preaching, and my wife said, you know, I was in prayer this week. She has a morning prayer meeting on a conference call with over 100 ministers, wives, and people from around the country, even around the world, every day. And so she said, I, I feel like the Lord wants us to sow toward our miracle. We need to give our van away, and I believe God will open a door for us. Well, it wasn't entirely out of our context. I mean, we were in need of a vehicle, so by giving this away was going to put us even in more need of a vehicle. It was going to put us down to one that had high mileage on it. But I had confidence that you reap what you sow. So if we right. give this, not that I was expecting someone would give us a vehicle. That wasn't my full expectation. I felt like if we give this vehicle these people who need it, and we sow a vehicle, God will make an opportunity for us. I didn't know if that meant we'd buy one at a good price, we'd get a loan at a good rate. I mean, I was open to however the door would open. We had no idea that after we gave that vehicle away in August, that in December, someone would give us a 2019 Lexus. <laughs> so, we yeah, tried to get away. Well, yeah, that's what they yeah, got. I mean, yeah. it, was, uh, it was a shocker. I mean, it was the last, of course, we had had a prophetic word, and it was the last Sunday of the year. And uh, it was a 2019 Lexus GX460, the big sedan you know, SUV. And we certainly reaped way more than we sowed right. by more than 10 times the amount. Yeah, I'm trying to see right now if anybody needs a 2017 Dodge Ram. 
<laughs> yeah. So whenever you hear um, like a direction from God to do something astronomical like that, and you explain that to your spouse, what is that conversation like? Is your wife in tune like you are, or how does that work? Well, like in, in this particular instance, she was the one that suggested it. I was actually had to be in tune with her. I came home. She said in prayer this week, she felt like the Lord told her we needed to do this. Well, I just, I mean, I just immediately felt a witness on it. I saw what she, you know, we've been married 35 years. I kind of knew her thought pattern, what she was, how she had arrived at this, kind of felt a witness, but I see where she's at. She's feeling like if we sow this by faith, we'll reap, God will help us. It's part of our paradigm. It's part of what we believe in. I don't know that I needed or whatever a great word from the Lord. It's biblical. It's just to what extent do you want to apply the biblical principles sometimes? Amen. I mean, you know, if it'll work for $20, it'll work for 200 it'll work for 2000 You know, it'll work for a vehicle. I've given away suits. I've had people give me suits. I've, I've given away, I gave away luggage and, and gotten brand new luggage. I've given away shirts. Had people buy me shirts. I mean, you, you reap what you sow. You sow into a certain dimension. That's the dimension you reap in. Right. Sow a vehicle, reap a vehicle. That's just the way it works. Well, uh, Brother Clendens, thank you so much for taking some time with us. Um, as we're wrapping up, I want to do want to ask you, what can we as uh, churchgoers do for our uh, missionaries and our evangelists that are stranded and uh, they're stuck at home during this time of COVID-19? What can we do to help financially support them? I know that you have a website that uh, um, you try to get all the evangelists together. How, what can we do to help our brothers? Well, I think as a church member, your, your best approach, if you feel led to give, is just, you know, go to the pastor, your pastor, say, I have this money, I feel led to give to missionaries or evangelists, and just, you know, give that to your church to give or give it to your pastor to give. You know, on my website and stuff with my donations and all that, I address it to pastors. And pastors have been very kind to evangelists during this season. Pastors are sending offerings. Um, I've been getting checks in the mail from pastors I preach for. So I think if a local church member feels a burden uh, to help, they should go and put that money in the hands of the pastor and say, I feel like, you know, just we have evangelists that need money if you want to bless them. And, and let the pastors then distribute that. They know or can find out who's in need. I've had several bishops and pastors contact me this very week. Say, are you aware of any evangelists that are in need, that are, their bills are overdue? So the pastors themselves have been very, very good about Thank God. trying to be aware of our needs and helping evangelists. Amen. And so we definitely need one another. And that's just a testimony absolutely. of the importance of, of organization, the importance of fellowship is there comes a time where, where we need each other to help take care of other people in ministry. Well, I've not preached out in a church in a month and a half. I mean, it's right toward the end of March, and now we're moving into the 1st of May. So this next week will be somewhere in the area of six weeks that I have not been out in a church preaching in a pulpit. So I've done some video, online videoing, sending videos. So my entire support has come from the generosity of pastors that have just felt a burden and have helped take care of us. Amen. And like Brian said, thank God for our brothers in Christ. And uh, Brother Kleindance, you're one of uh, the many men and women that's in our movement that have been grounded 
But thank God for your servanthood towards our organization. Thank you so much for all that you do. Um, and as we're wrapping up, we like to wrap up with uh, two different questions. Our final two questions are, what are you reading right now? And the second one is, give us a final word, something that we may have left out or something God's been burdened you with, something like that. But what do you, what do you got on your bookshelf right now? Well, this is going to be kind of funny. I'm going to use a statement that I've said many times. I've written more books than I've read. I'm more of a writer, more of a writer than a reader. Uh, so I have been, what I've been doing is I've been journaling. I bought them journals with the English Standard Version of the Bible, and I've been writing the book of Acts. So, you know, you got to read it to write it. So you read the on the one page and write it on the next page. It's a journaling-type Bible. I think that's a great thing to do, read and write the Word of God. It really, you know, makes it concrete into your spirit. So I don't know if I'm reading anything interesting, but I'm certainly writing. Well, well how, about, how about this? Plug some of your books. How do we get in? How do we get some of your books? What are you? What are your books cover? Um, oh, well, all of my books are on my website right now, DouglasKleindance.com. There's a My Books tab up at the top, or Our Books, I think, because my wife's book there is also. I'm even running a special right now. All eight of my books are for a hundred bucks. Wow! And I've got there's a wide variety there. Uh, the, the Secret of the Bounce. That's how to come back from uh, devastating circumstances. That was the first book I ever wrote. That's a little inspirational book. My DNA series is on there. The DNA of spiritual gifts. The DNA of spiritual spiritual warfare, the DNA of ministry, the DNA of the gospel. So there's a little DNA series here that goes through. That's kind of systematic type learning. They're outlines, you know, everything's kind of like categories and subpoints. So that's sort of systematic teaching in those areas. I've got one there on honoring God with your finances. That is a really good in-depth book on how to handle your money and sow toward the blessings of God. So they're all eight on my website. You can order them right there. They're also on Amazon. All of our books are on Amazon. So all eight books for a hundred bucks. You know you ain't yep. doing nothing at home anyway. Go ahead and order some of those books and read you something while we're all just sitting at home right now. How long is that special going to be good for? Well, I've been running it during this season. Number one to help me get some extra money, and number two because, like you just said, people are at home. So I'll probably run it at least through May till we get back out. I can start carrying the books around and sell them in churches again. Sure. So I think what Brian and I may do is just in our promo ads, we're going to go ahead and add DouglasKleindance.com and get you some books. <laughs> do, our, do our best. That would be wonderful. So the last thing we want to let you do, we do it with all of our guests, Brother Kleindenst, is we like to give you the final word, something that God's burdened you with or something that's been on your heart. Can you just uh, tell us for the next couple of minutes what's been going on with you right now? Well, yes, this is probably the strongest word that has been in my spirit um, in the last two weeks. And, and that is basically the Bible says that all things work together for good to them that are that love God and are the called according to his purpose we we like to quote the all things work together for good but it's not really a blanket statement because we all know that not every single thing that happens in our life is good and it's not always works out for good you know we have to suffer through some stuff the the promise there is in the purpose of God all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So even in the shutdown, the quarantining, there's been a purpose of God. God could have stopped all this. He allowed it to take its course, allowed it to go unchecked. 
seemed like it's been a divine disruption. God allowed church services to be shut down, at least for this little season. So I've been trying to cooperate with the purpose of God. What does God want me to do differently? What does God want me to do better? How can I be different when I start going back to what we were? I don't want to go be the same as I was. just don't want to return. I want to, I want to advance better. So it's the purpose of God that brings the promise of God to pass. So I feel like if I'm cooperating with his purpose of the shutdown, his purpose in the quarantine, his purpose in the disruption was to refocus my attention, refocus my passion, get me looking more outside the building and evangelism, more connected, look at like this very phone call, you know, being connected more to one another, being more generous, giving to one another like we've been doing. I think these are some of the things I want to carry into the new paradigm as we return. So cooperating with the purpose of God is what brings the promise. The promise doesn't just happen. It happens when you are called according or in agreement with his purpose. Thank you, Brother Kleindance, for this time that you, you spent with us. And, and you cer- certainly have shared some wisdom uh, that is uh, going to impact in a positive way uh, young ministers out there in order that are hungry for the gifts of the Spirit. And we, we appreciate you. And, uh, you know, we, we, we pray God's blessing be on you and your ministry. And, and Hopefully and, you can get back on the road soon. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully... Hopefully if our hopefully if our paths cross again we've got some mics we can do this in person sometime. Oh, happy to do it. Brother Kleinis, thank you so much. You guys have been listening to the Crucial Conversation podcast. Conversation Podcast.